Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Big stories. Big guests. The big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. All right, welcome to this hour of the program. Rob Breckenridge with you on this Monday afternoon. You can reach us at 403-974-TALK, 974-8255. So we played for you earlier what the Premier had to say yesterday. And on the same weekend uh, where Alberta cracked that that threshold of 1,000 new cases in a single day, uh, the Premier again reminding all of us that if these more limited measures that he introduced last week don't work, uh, that we may have to go further. And that may mean, as we've seen in other provinces, restrictions that will uh, limit the operation of certain businesses or even close certain businesses altogether. And we all went through that, of course, uh, back in the spring, in the uh, early days of this pandemic. Look, there's no doubt that public health restrictions like that are going to have an impact on businesses, on, on individuals' bottom lines, on the individuals' income. But I don't think we can pretend that the pandemic itself doesn't have an economic impact. So it's not a choice between do we address public health or do we impose measures that are going to have an economic impact because failing to control the pandemic is going to have an economic impact. So how do we try to balance all of that? And, and what do we need to, to recognize as we consider how best to crack down on the virus versus how much do we impact uh, businesses and, by extension, the economy? So joining us to talk a bit more about uh, trying to find that balance and keeping all of this in mind, very pleased to welcome the program uh, here this afternoon, uh, Blake Schaefer, Assistant Professor in the Department of Economics at the University of Calgary, also with the School of Public Policy. Uh, Blake, great to have you with us here this afternoon. Welcome to the program. Hi, Rob. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, let's talk about, first of all, how this often gets portrayed as, as kind of either or, right? It's, it's either public health or the economy that we can kind of pick one at, at the expense of the other. What do you make of that? Yeah, well, I, think, I think you stole the words right out from under me at the, at the outset. It, it is a false choice. Um, we can't pretend that you know, a runaway virus won't have impacts on the economy. Um, I think Dr. Dina Henshaw even you know, emphasize that as much, calling it a false dichotomy between saving the economy or fighting the virus. There's been some really good research, mainly out of the U.S., on this, where they looked at the effects of shutdown measures um, versus the virus itself, and seeing that really the shutdown measures account for only a small share of the drop in consumer traffic and economic impact, that, you know, the fear of the virus, and this is these, some of these studies are from the early stages, the fear of the virus drove people away from economic activity uh, just as much as mandated measures. So I, I think it's a really important point to continue to make that it's not about choosing to save the economy or fighting the virus. They're, they're inextricable, um, and we're going to have negative impacts just as much, if not worse, from uh, heightened levels of uh, viral spread. 
It's important to keep in mind because I think we, we can all understand and appreciate that if we tell a restaurant that they have to close, that that's going to, to have a significant economic impact on that restaurant, the people who work there, etc. But the idea that we can just pretend otherwise, like everything's fine, and then that restaurant is going to continue to to thrive and prosper, that's that's probably a naive hope, isn't it? Yeah, but it's hard. You know, there's no easy answers. You know, I clear, I don't I don't envy the government's um, position here and having to make these choices. But this is why they're in charge. They need to make these choices. You're absolutely right. Making that active step to close those businesses to to take that economic impact, it, it's really hard to do. And it's easier to sort of sit back and hope that we won't have the same negative impact that will occur by letting them stay open. But you know, we're starting to see it. We're starting to see in other places where the virus is spreading that people aren't going out to the restaurants. Um, they aren't frequenting um, businesses. Businesses will fail um, in that situation as well, but then there's the added negative effect of, uh, well, first of all, the health effect. You're going to have higher deaths, higher morbidities, but also less set up for support. So like a big part of this in terms of any mandated restrictions is the financial support that ought to be coming with government at the same time. I think, you know, when you hear economists talk about the need for these types of measures, it always comes part and parcel with the need for support to bridge businesses and households through a period of lockdown. And, and you can do that with a planned lockdown. It's not necessarily the case that they just simply don't survive because people aren't showing up. Let me ask you this, and maybe it's it's overly simplistic to look at it this way, but, you know, the Alberta government often points to the fact that, that in this province we have typically had kind of the least intrusive public health restrictions. We've had maybe the most open economy through this pandemic. So theoretically then, I, I guess to follow that logic, that should manifest itself in, in some way. We should be a, a, a leader when it comes to some kind of economic metric. I, th I think you'd be hard-pressed to find any any examples of that, right? That, that just because we've had the most open economy doesn't mean that we've thrived or prospered the most this year, have we? Yeah, no, we have. I mean, there is the added aspect of the demand hit on, on our primary business here having that big economic effect. So it's hard to extricate that. But, you know, there's some, some really good analysis out of Oxford showing this, you know, lack of a health economy trade-off. In fact, quite the opposite. So, you know, countries with the more severe economic downturn also with the highest death rates and countries with the more modest economic impact uh, have managed to keep the death rate low So countries like Taiwan, South Korea, Lithuania. So, it, it, I mean, the virus, <laughs> the, the, we're seeing the effect now of having more lax or voluntary measures, relying on more voluntary measures, the virus will grow and, and that will have its impact on the economy just as much, if not more, than mandating closures. We look at what's happening right now, and there, there are probably a lot of ways in which the economy is already taking a hit before we impose any kind of meaningful restrictions. One, one of the uh, aspects you were, were tweeting about today is we tried to calculate what the number might be of, of all of the individuals who are forced into self-isolation for, for two weeks. We've got about, almost 9,000 active cases. We've got Wait. most likely tens of thousands, if not more, Albertans who are, are basically home for two weeks already. They're right. already in lockdown. Right. I mean, that's a really practical way to sort of illustrate how, you know, the uncontrolled virus is going to have that economic impact. So what do we have now? About a thousand people a day uh, contracting yeah. COVID. And, you know, best estimate is 15 close contacts each. 
So 15,000 people a day entering self-isolation. Run that for 10 days, you've got 150,000, and that doesn't even incorporate the fact we're likely to grow in the number of cases. So 150,000, including our premier at the moment, but that, that leaves a lot of people who can't participate um, by you know teachers who can't go to work, um, healthcare workers who can't help sick, um, the same restaurants or service sector workers not being able to go to work. So it, it sort of re- continues to emphasize the sort of you know, it's not a choice between one or the other. Um, you know, I've heard people say we're not going to shut down the economy. Well, the virus could ultimately shut it down for us. And the number of people in self-isolation can do that. So there is a need for balance. You know, I think one of the things the premier has made clear, he doesn't want indiscriminate lockdowns. Um, but there is a need for something more serious, more going beyond sort of recommendations and personal responsibility. We've we've simply seen that that, that just hasn't worked. And there, there's no good evidence around the world that relying on personal responsibility is having a measurable effect against uh, the virus. So again, with you know, on, on the trade-off side, we know that more stringent public health measures can help contain the virus, can help level things off, maybe even bring the numbers down. It comes at an economic cost. So what, what are our options then in, in trying to maximize the benefits on the public health side, but minimize the impact on the economic side? Yeah, in fact, there's a, there's a great paper that just came out exactly this very morning on that on that exactly. How do we maximize well-being while well, minimize the viral spread? Um, so I was keenly reading through that, and it's a lot of common sense. So you know, you're going after you, you're implementing the lowest cost in, uh, interventions first. So these would be mandated universal masking. We're pretty good here in Alberta. Our big cities have stepped up, and some other cities. Um, we, we should extend that province-wide. We should extend it to indoor settings, um, uh, like workplaces as well. So masking has been shown to be really effective at low cost. Testing as well, uh, testing and tracing. Um, I think Alberta has been pretty good in that front, especially early on, but clearly we, we're, we're failing in that regard now. Um, I don't think uh, it's a fault of the intentions, but simply the fact that we're being overwhelmed. So you start there, but at a certain point, there's a crossover between measures that might be going too far um, in terms of the cost of the intervention, but we're not there yet. I think the key point in all of these papers is that we need to get the reproductive rate of the virus below one. So effectively, one person infected transfers eventually to maximum one other person. That slows down the exponential growth. So that is probably the first principle of what we need to do right now is go up the ladder of interventions um, until we get that reproductive rate under one. There's some great work out of UBC looking at some risk-reward on different um, different sectors of the economy, different industries, where, 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 you know, the biggest or the least economic impact for most virus reduction that you can have. So we should be leaning on all this evidence um, to allow for the sort of targeted things that we're talking about. But again, they need to be more stringent. They need to be mandated. They need to come with support to bridge these affected businesses Yeah, Yeah, that's an important point. Look, obviously, our our COVID response, be it the provincial government, federal government this year, has come with quite a price tag. But it is crucial, then, if we want to minimize the economic impact, uh, that we got to be there for those businesses that are going to be uh, affected, don't we? Yeah, I mean, there's not much better situation where 
public debt should be used, in my view. Um, this is exactly the type of situation where the coordinating power and the financial heft of the government is needed. Um, so it is temporary. Thankfully, the cavalry of vaccines look like they're on their way. And we're hoping that sometime in 2021, we'll start to revert to normalcy. Um, but it's all the more reason to save lives now. You know, if, if this was sort of an indefinite period, yes, learning to live with the virus would be the mantra that we'd be going through. But uh, if we know that there's an end in sight, all the more reason not to have lives lost or people to track the virus with long-term morbidity impacts. Um, and so this is exactly where the government can step in. This is where the federal government um, can also step in with its test, and they've shown an indication to do so. Uh, there's, there's programs ready for people, for affected businesses by lockdowns. So I think it's what's needed at this moment. We'll leave it there. Uh, like, appreciate the insight, and uh, thanks so much for making some time for us here this afternoon. Cheers. Have a good day. You as well. Appreciate it. Blake Schaefer, uh, professor, uh, assistant professor of the Department of Economics at the University of Calgary, also with the School of Public Policy at the U of C. Uh, so his thoughts on, you know, where, where economic health and public health are, are intertwined here, and we can't really separate the two, uh, that containing the virus will have economic benefits and letting it run rampant will have economic consequences. So how best to respond at this point? Look, really, if we were going to try to, to wrestle this, this down to, to zero, we're going to go for eradication, that would be prolonged and, and painful, no doubt about it, to try to replicate what, say, for example, Melbourne did. Uh, that would, would uh, entail quite a prolonged invasive lockdown in Alberta. And I don't know if there's any appetite for that. And that would come with quite a cost. But the idea of maybe something uh, more modest, some kind of a, a plan to at least get that R value below one, that's a lot more doable. And so it, it, it requires not only a strategy, it requires uh, some urgency and it requires a, a willingness and a flexibility then to ensure that any businesses that are impacted by whatever it is you're doing are going to get some support. Obviously, Alberta's accumulated a lot of debt at the moment already. Uh, ditto with the uh, the feds. I mean, Alberta does also have uh, what we might refer to uh, at times as a rainy day fund. I don't know if that's on the table necessarily, but um, it's probably going to be necessary. At least some kind of an approach like this. Anyway, 403-974-8255 is our number here, 974-TALK. We are back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.